been doing this. Like, this is kind of what I had left, like where I left off at in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe like after meeting her, or I could say maybe after Eric left at that point in time, when things just have not been as, uh, not, not pounding the pavement quite as, as heavily with it, but still doing it. But, um, just this last week has been, uh, kind of a, a blast back to that past. Um, okay. and very, the, the, the practices has, has, I mean, you know, just all the things we're talking about here about catching it and, uh, that attitude and feeling, you know, what Funny whenever like that. Funny like that, you know, that in fact what you're mentioning is is that uh, Adam blames Eve, the man blames the woman, and the woman says, oh, well, it's not my fault, it's your damn talking snake. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> That's the problem. Your video's and, and, Pardon? Your video's off. I can't see you. Now you don't see me, now you do. There you go. Now we got it. <laughs> okay. So, um, anyway, yes, that's what happens when we go um, out of a noble relationship into a, a, an ordinary relationship. And when she's in that ordinary state, she pulls you into it because you're not strong enough yet to stay out of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in fact, that's actually an excellent opportunity. Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa would call that opportunity, just like sickness, it's an opportunity to practice. Mm. And you as a noble remain noble-minded even when you're around someone who will do anything to pull you out of being noble. <laughs> that's a very good point. And I know all about being sick when I'm with someone noble, that could be the next paper that I write uh, because that's actually, I, I think, an even greater story than the one in the woods when uh, Eric and I were sick. I mean, and we, I remember we talked about that quite a bit. Mm -hmm. um, yes, yes. I also remember the bear that wasn't there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> And the stump or the, the, the fallen log that you were able to use as a meditation object. Yeah, did, did you that? Yeah, <laughs> I remember a lot about that. So, uh, this situation, though, now you can recognize that value of being able to shut your mouth, to not get involved with it, because that's the next step into don't care. Better do what she wants to do. But the thing of it is, is that whether she knows it or not, when you remain noble, it's hard for her to stay hardcore ignoble. That mm. if you come and bring a, let us say, truckload full of snow and dump it into your living room, it's really hard to stay hot. Mm-hmm. Well, we we last time we talked, we were talking about how oh you you learn how to shut your mouth. Now it's time to only let wholesome things come out. Uh huh. Exactly. That's the thing to do. Then is that first we need to shut up because we're we're the dragon mouth too. <laughs> <laughs> dragon breath. <laughs> yes, and so we have to shut our yap so that we could cool off inside. And then you deliver only wholesome thoughts. By the way, how did that operate? How did that work for you when you were uh, mindfully only saying wholesome things to her? That was that was really good. That was really good. Yeah, it's just like the mind. It's just like when I'm only saying wholesome things to myself. It's really good. Mm -hmm. It's funny because yeah uh, I, I guess you talk we talk about this a lot with um when you fall down right or something unwholesome comes out or the mind like for example I was, I was just on a walk and having wholesome thoughts and then an unwholesome thought 
and I noticed like my it, it, I was watching myself on oh, my my own facial my facial expression changed everything kind of just changed and then boom I immediately woke because I like, got it changed into like oh like sadness or like uh like a confused face but then I I caught myself and immediately was like wow like you know it just perks right up it's just such a, a night and day experience so when you are saying things with your mouth that are not wholesome but if you if you go back to being wholesome it's like a totally different experience exactly and and you're you're creating that new reality because that's where your mind is that's that important teaching that if you're afraid of something you want to draw those things to you mm -hmm. or whatever you've got on your mind so if you've got wholesome thoughts now on your mind when she comes unwholesome you do not have to go back into the old style. You, in fact, can remain wholesome. And in the process of, of learning to do that is when we shut our face. Don't let it out. We don't just, um, like with the, uh, the Sotagami, yells one time and then shuts his face. Okay. That the Anagami is the one who just doesn't let it out. He, he you know, uh, he, he's wise enough that no matter how bad he feels, just a little bit or a whole lot, it doesn't show. He doesn't tell it. And we, we control the mind enough to shut up just long enough to make a change. So we're actually, in a way, doing Anapanasati right then and there. Just mm. Wake up. Yeah. Look at what we're doing and to shut that mouth. <laughs> and then to make a change on the inside, bring the mind back into that noble state, that state of joy. And now when we open our mouth, we have something worth hearing. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's funny that way, huh? Anapanasati. <laughs> uh -huh. well, I, I was thinking about while we were talking about this is maybe a sitcom or even just a short um, YouTube uh, video with a guy and his girlfriend, and he, in fact, is having tr uh, uh, conversations with an old fat dude in Thailand, and watch the fact that he can actually control her bad feelings. I mean, this, anybody can do this if they remember that they can, and they know they can. That, that whole knowledge, I know that you can do this, but the better part is, is that you know that you can, in fact, respond to unwholesome talk with wholesome. Mm -hmm. Most people don't know that. They've never seen it before. So I'm thinking about having a sitcom. You know what mm -hmm. a sitcom is? Situation comedy, the old television series, you know, like Gunsmoke. <laughs> Yeah, where where like the girl is is complaining or something, and the guy is just positive. <laughs> yeah, like it's wholesome. Care. I don't care, right? And then she drags him into it, and he recognizes it. Goes talks to his teacher. He, the teacher talks him out of it, and he comes back out of it <laughs> and deals with his girlfriend and gets her out of it too. Oh, it's a show about me. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, well, right. I mean, that's what the inspiration was, is a, a, a kind of a, a sitcom or whatever like that. It was actually wholesome. Do something wholesome on television or on YouTube or whatever. Yeah, that would be great. I would like to do that. Um, and that's actually something that I had done before, too, uh, from time to time, was when she's uh complaining about something maybe about something at work or in her life not necessarily direct conflict with me but uh you know just kind of not really saying anything maybe like give her a massage or you know mm -hmm. you don't really need to get into the details of it just you know with with the the the, the medium is the message okay uh I don't know whether it's time to tell you this or not, but I'll go ahead and give you a shot. There's a, there is yet an additional skill that you can develop. Let me ask you a question before we started. Are you ticklish? Or are you most ticklish? Are you ticklish on I'm the bottom I'm of the I'm pretty ticklish, yeah. Pardon, on the bottom I'm, of your I'm, pr I'm pretty ticklish, yeah. Okay. So, do you know 
that that's all mental anyway. Mm. Yeah. And that, uh, to be honest with you, I've had partners from time to time uh, at various stages of uh, relationships, but that the point is, is that if you tickle her feet, she will react to that. Mm-hmm. With great joy and laughter, and it's a nice game. You can tickle her, and she'll jerk that foot back, okay? But wait soon enough, she will tickle you the same way. The question is, is that now that you know that it's coming, wakey, wakey, when she tickles you, you don't respond. Mm-hmm. You, you, you're able to hold that foot there. It does not have that knee-jerk reaction. Okay. Okay. Now, we still play that game here at the house, and the way that I do it, uh, and, it, I mean, it's, uh, it's one of the family joyful practices. So Tam will come and tickle my left foot, and my right foot will jerk. Mm. control. And then she'll tickle my right foot, and the left foot will jerk. <laughs> and then she'll go and tickle both of them, and the hand goes up. <laughs> Are you doing that to just confuse her? <laughs> no, she's not confused. Maybe 10 years ago she was confused, mm. but it wasn't even this far along. No, this is a game that we play, but it's yeah. actually a game of mental control because she can't keep her feet still. Mm. Yet. But you're showing her that you're you're able to control what you jerk. <laughs> yes, that's the whole point. Can you control those bodily reflexes? In other words, can you take control over your body? It's great play. It's great hilarity. <clears throat> and it's also <clears throat> enormously confidence building when you say, no matter what, I'm not going to move that foot. I'll move the other one or something. And then she tickles you. And then you don't move it. And then you say, aha, I knew I could do it. And then you can do it. Mm. Yeah. And there are many, many things that are like that. You can say, oh, I've got to wake up at five in the morning. And you put that in. Guess what? You'll wake up in time. Because you program the mind. And you know that you can program the mind. So it's actually a programming. It's like burning in a ROM rather than just uh, a DRAM. <laughs> yeah, I've done that before, definitely. Typically, when I do that a lot of time, if it's uh, a trip or something, I'll wake up even earlier. Mm-hmm. Right, maybe 30 minutes in advance or so. If you got to get up at 5 o'clock, up at 4.30. Yep. Right, because you programmed it. I'm going to be up by 5 o'clock. Uh-huh. So... That and so many other things that have to do with this building up of the confidence, because that confidence is the key. The lion, that lion's roar, you have to develop that ability. I know I can do this, is a major part of the practice of the teaching and the teachings of the Buddha, because we all start off as victims. We all start off as children that are incapable of doing anything. Very few of us ever wind up getting that I can do this, that can do attitude. And almost always, when that does happen, it happens to ordinary people who still have ordinary frustrations, but they do realize their goals. They get what they want. The question is can they do it happily or not? Well, that's what we're wanting is we're wanting to get that happiness and be able to do anything we want to do and be a champion at it. Mm-hmm. And so this is an easy example to play with if you've got a friend who'll play this game with you, though she doesn't even know that you've started initiating a game that's going to bring great joy in your lives. Tease her. Can you hold your foot still? <laughs> if she can hold her foot still, that's actually mental development. That's Sita Bhavana. Sita Bhavana. Can she hold her foot still while you tickle her? 
Did she keep her mouth shut when you tickle that? <laughs> it's the same practice, you see. Mm-hmm. She comes in with unwholesome thoughts and tickles you into talking. And now you can shut your mouth. You don't have to say anything. Mm. Yeah. So she comes and tickles your foot and you're, you don't have to have those autonomic responses in the leg. You can take control of that leg and not move. Yep. Okay. So I'll give this a everything becomes Dharma, huh? <laughs> oh yeah. I'm definitely gonna play with that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we play a lot. We've got the dogs, the, the puppy is really, really playful. She's growing up now. And so uh every evening for us is literally a, a pillow fight mm. in the sense of uh Throwing, throwing the the pillow from one person to another, and the one who's not looking gets hit in the head with it. Mm-hmm. Okay, but actually, it's the, uh, to keep the dog. So, in fact, if I want the dog to jump on Tam, I'll throw the ball or the uh, or the the bear that she's chewing on or whatever play toy she's got just on the other side of Tam, and then the puppy, when she comes through, is going to be bouncing right on Tam's tummy. Mm-hmm. So we we, uh, we practice this way, but by doing that, now I'm actually teaching Kitty how to throw and control her throwing. Those ties are notorious for not being able to play baseball. They can't. They've got an, uh, a tie injunction is that it's disrespectful to throw things. So nobody throws anything. She could be a, a foot from me, Tam, and I throw her, toss her the keys, and she's got her hand out, and she can't catch it. She can't catch the keys. But now she's actually beginning to pick up those hand coordinations that uh, most Americans pick up quite naturally. The pies don't have it. It's, it's uh, uh, socially against the rules to throw things, anything, any reason. Well, they so can I can't that. even toss the keys to her a foot away without her missing them. But now she can catch them easy enough. Well, if they can learn to catch, then uh, I can learn to clean out the mind. There you go. <laughs> exactly. Learning how to catch a ball is exactly what we do to clean out the mind. Can you catch the ball? You know, you've heard me talk about the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. Well, in this case, what we need to do instead of catch the ball is make sure that it doesn't hit us, that we can get out of the way of it. But it's exactly the same skill, except instead of being uh, uh, hand-eye coordination, it's more like mind-mind coordination so that you can see that insult coming. And skip right out of the way and watch you. <laughs> oh, you missed me. <laughs> <laughs> but most of us spend our whole lives making ourselves targets. And so when those slings and arrows of outrageous fortune even are missing us, we'll go stand in the way to make sure that we get hit by it. Who are you talking to? <laughs> you know, that kind of mentality is that we want to get hit by the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. And in a way, Westerners are very good at that, to where the Thais have the ability to just. <laughs> and so hand-eye coordination has that quality to it. This is part of martial arts, that people who develop really good, strong eye coordination, eye-hand coordination, actually means a lot of stuff. When you see that ball, for instance, coming through the air, you know that the human brain actually has to do the trajectory of what is the curve of the ball and where it's going to land so that we can get ready and have the hands ready for where, where it comes by. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. That's a whole lot of anticipation. It is a skill when it's used wholesomely, but in the West, we use that skill very unwholesomely to try to figure out where the insults are coming so that we can stand there and say, it's me that you're hitting. Mm-hmm. I caught that ball. Okay, 
I even have to work sometimes really hard to catch those balls <laughs> when, in fact, those are dukkha. Balls of dukkha people are throwing around all the time. Then, in fact, if we go back to now what we were talking about before, she's out there throwing her little dukkha balls. Right? Are you going to stand in the way and get hit by them, or are you going to be sharp enough to get out of the way? <laughs> Get up. Remain noble. Yeah. So in a way, you could say that all oh, the training is a twofold training in the sense: can I stop throwing balls at myself on the inside of my mind? Then the second training is: when other people are throwing those balls, can I get out of the way? Mm-hmm. And it's the same training, kind of. <laughs> I can do it. There you go. I can do it. That's it. That's the whole point. Yeah. You put it in a way that I understand it. And of course I can do it. Mm-hmm. That's the Sama Sankapa, that uh, that life force that we have. That, uh, in Thai, it's called Chi Wit Chi Wa, but you hear that word Chi, which is the Chinese version. Okay. Chi. Uh, in English, we use words like mojo. The can-do attitude, that's the thing that needs to be developed in a wholesome way. Because it can be developed, and many people have it, but they don't use it in a a wholesome way. And like we were saying before, Elon Musk is a good example. Many good politicians are like that. They've got that force. I can do this. But they're very unwholesome about it. And probably one that we could have as an example of that is Donald Trump. He is slimy. <laughs> he he is so slimy because he has that attitude. Look how slimy I am. I'll slip right out of your hands again, Mr. Law. <laughs> I can get away with anything. Mm-hmm. Okay, now that's extremely unwholesome. But it is a kind of power. That mental attitude of, I could do it, I could do it, got it. Most people never develop that kind of attitude, and a few do it unwholesomely and cause all kinds of problems for themselves and others. Wow. But but if you could do that, get that uh, mojo, get that can-do attitude, get that Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa going in you become a bhikkhu buddha dasa okay in fact he recommends that everybody can be bhikkhu buddha dasa ha ha <laughs> just practice you could do it and so uh i've been talking about this you know for a long time but i think that we need to do even more emphasize it so that the students can really grasp the hold of that you can do this this is not the way that I've heard people talk about it many, many years ago and from time to time now, that, oh, there's nobody been enlightened for hundreds of years. I'm going to work really hard at it. Maybe we could do it. Sort of kind of like pragmatic Dhamma, pragmatic Buddhism, you know. Mm-hmm. Saying, well, let's go in and figure out what they did wrong so that we could take it and get it right. And not understanding that, no, it hasn't ever been lost. That mojo is there, okay? And that's one of the things also that I wanted to point out with Pra Tip, that he's got that starting for himself. He's got that 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 kind of an attitude of, we could do this, we've got this wire. And that story that he told about recognizing that all, oh, his face is broken out because he got a statue dirty when he was a kid in Thailand and got busted it, got it. And so instead of cleaning the statue, would have been the right thing to do, he ran away with the dirt on the face of the statue and he became that statue. Now, that's a really, really good example of how karma works. That's the action, the action of putting that dirt on it and not cleaning it up and being left with the guilt. And then he even forgets the incident up here in this part of the brain. 
But this part of the brain remembers it, the part that controls the skin. Uh. <clears throat> and so um, that's something to begin to understand that, uh, that that's part of the training that the monks have, whether uh, or not you catch them believing in things like rebirth and reincarnation, the actual point that I would say, that's why it's irrelevant. You know, people talk to me about it and say, oh, you don't believe in it and whatnot like that. And I keep pointing back that no, it's irrelevant. Only so long as you allow it to be relevant. Because you stop caring about whether it exists or not. And because it's part of the common language that they have in Thailand, you're, you're an ordinary Thai monk, one who is really getting it going, will speak in that magical language, but it's irrelevant that he does so other than he's talking to people who understand that magical language. But I have seen that with the monks on numbers of occasions, that when they're with nobles, they speak in a noble way, and when they're ordinary people, they speak in an ordinary way. It's a skill that I wouldn't care to develop because Bikku Buddha didn't bother to develop that skill either. <laughs> okay. Uh, <clears throat> and so I would recommend also within your relationship to start acting in a noble way rather than going into the ignoble stuff or the magical thinking or whatnot like that. <clears throat> but <clears throat> belief in rebirth is only a problem when we want to use it out to our advantage something, when we see that it's actually irrelevant. I mean, if, if five years ago was irrelevant, because most people will really dwell on something bad that happened five years ago, and then they feel bad on a regular cases. When we can get out of five years ago and be in the present moment, be here now, then it doesn't matter whether it was five or 500, years. It doesn't matter. It's deep, dark past. And so uh, rebirth and reincarnation are actually irrelevant teachings. But even the Buddha talked in that language to those who believed it. That's why the sutras are so difficult to understand is because people who really have a hard confirmation bias for rebirth and reincarnation exist they can find evidence of it in the suttas, which actually what they mean is they don't understand what's going on. They don't understand the, uh, 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 the, the ways of the Buddha, that he's actually there building friendship and trust because he understands their point of view. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and one of the things that I've wanted to do with uh, uh, Achan Kotet uh, is not rub it in his face at all, but rather continue to speak in a noble way to students. And he's going along right right, right down with us on that. He's, he's on it. I'm really glad that he's here. I think that it would be uh, very valuable for the students uh, to have real monks in our group. Yeah, I'm really glad that he uh, he ended up joining and kind of took to it so well. Yes, I yeah. really am pleased. If I'm we got a couple of more monks, that would be good too. What was that? I say it would be even better if we had three monks. Yeah. I uh, he's he's like the youngest guy at that spot there, probably that that knows how to use a phone that well, is my imagination. But uh, you know, I'll, well, I'll be back that, there. That might be a hindrance, but it should not be uh, that much of an obstacle. Um, hmm. But it's at least a thought. Yes, no, uh, a lot of the senior elderly monks, especially those that are my age, the very best ones that you can get are the really old dudes who have really been around. They're also the ones less likely to be on the internet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because because the internet didn't exist for the first 50 to 70 years of their life. <laughs> yeah, you, you are very impressive with the uh, with the computer, given your age. 
because I know oh, you're. Yeah, well, I was. Yeah, I was part of the star of the show with that. I was really, right. really lucky to be picked up at the age of 21 by IBM. Mm-hmm. And 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 start working with mainframes at that young age. Mm-hmm. 1967. I remember it specifically. That year was the year I joined IBM. Yeah, I mean, it's like I every uh, every uh, like my parents, you know, my dad, like still, it's kind of like the 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 phone is even a foreign object to him still in a way, in a certain way. So, um, just depends on I feel like how 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 young you were when you started and how involved you are with it and an attitude around it, probably mm-hmm. probably mostly an attitude. Okay, well. Uh, in high school, I was really into electronics. I had uh, a ham radio that I built myself, and then I helped uh, my friend uh, Nathan Goldman get his on, and that I was actually kind of jealous because by the time we had finished his equipment, his was better than mine. Mm-hmm. He could pick, we could pick up stations on his ham radio better than I could on, on mine. Uh, and and other things like that. I was also really into sound, uh, tape, disc, that kind of stuff. Uh, and so that was my high school days. Then when I was went into the Navy, I went into the Navy as a musician, but then started to work in the sound recording laboratory, which is back into the electronic part of, of music. But actual lays that we actually cut platters for people. We also cut masters to be sent to uh, the recording company that actually would press them so that we could distribute music. So, I mean, this was a uh, very high quality sound recording laboratory that the Navy operated at the Naval School of Music. But it was all musicians. There was not an ET electronic technician in the group. They were all musicians. But because I was in that uh, uh, sound record, by the way, the reasons that there are no ETs is because all the ETs were on board ships, maintaining the electronic equipment on board ships. (laughs) No pay billets for uh, the recording laboratory, but they, they managed to get enough people who had that kind of experience with that. So it was because of that then Here's something else that a lot of people don't know, and that is you, IBM Corporation is still a major uh, big corporation in America because of what happened in World War II. You could literally say that IBM owns the United States Navy. Uh. Everything that the Navy does with high tech, it's IBM that does it. They, they, uh, that's just been the way that it was. Maybe not 100% now, but generally IBM has been really, really tight with the Navy, including that when people, uh, that was a time when IBM was on a major hiring expedition because they had just come out with the 360 mainframe, first big real mainframe with real chips in it. So that was why I was hired, because I had already been doing electronics in the Navy, and so they scoffed me up and and gave me an education. So by 1973, I had a master's in electrical engineering, which was way beyond what I ever expected to be able to do. But along the way, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, right into a master's of electrical engineering. Very rare. Not many people you'll find with with that kind of credential. But that was, it's basically what I'm saying is it is a combination of hardware and software. We're the kind of guys that that write the drivers or develop USB, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so now things are so uh, built on top of each other. And all my training was right down there at the bottom bottom layer between software and hardware. Okay, so I know Windows pretty well because it's an operating system. In fact, that was my specialty was operating systems. So I know Linux and I know Unix and I know a lot of languages. But nowadays, it's all on the internet and that was, I was already a monk. 
by the time the internet came by. So I've got no training in it other than just picking stuff up. But old men like me, they didn't have the basis that I have, they can't pick it up. My mother could not learn to use a computer even though she used a typewriter. She just could not use a computer. Terrified of it. I know the type, yeah. Well, um, back to the point about that, but we will find monks. That in fact, I would rather have a, a monk like uh, uh, Ajahn Patit rather than one of the really old masters anyway. Someone closer to your age. Mm -hmm. But that's one of the things I know happens is that people point at old Amarato and he says, oh, well, he's been around too many corners. <laughs> <laughs> And I'll never get to that place, you know, but when you've got young monks who have that uh, that budding mojo that I could see in Nachan Patek. I think that that's also what uh, uh, Achan um, Santi could see in Eric. You saw it in Eric. And if there's any anything, one thing that would be able to... You, to define Eric for you is, is that he's got an attitude. Mm -hmm. And I'm really, really happy that that attitude shone brightly and he was seen. Some old master up in Royette has grabbed his butt and taken him and put him in training. <laughs> That's great. Is he... Uh... Yeah, that's wonderful. I, I mean, know it. we we talked about um, you know we, we we talked about potentially making it out to Thailand when he was here, and um, you know that how it was just a couple of different steps away. And I know he went to Alaska um, after he left Chicago at some point. And then I figure, you know, Thailand seems like a, the next logical step after Alaska. <laughs> mm -hmm. After uh, a couple of bear encounters. <laughs> oh, he really saw the bears. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, he told yeah. me, uh, he told me he got out of his car and approached one. <laughs> and I was very, uh, it was like, nice. <laughs> well, there is a you you know that we've talked about that um being sick is a really excellent time to practice sometimes also we have to test ourselves mm -hmm. okay and that one of the things that we do want to test ourselves is how do we handle danger you know the buddha was known for being fearless that in fact, uh, the original Bodh Gaya that he stayed in, the reason why it was so secluded was because it was well known by the entire population that this was a haunted place. This was a dangerous place. This was in the swamps with snakes and alligators and great big trees and all that kind of stuff. Probably some swamp gas to go along with it, but downright spooky. You know, yeah. some haunted houses are haunted just because they feel spooky. There's something about the air that's there. Yeah, that, that's actually what I what I wrote about uh, with Eric in that in that paper. Quite a lot about how fearless he was, and actually, I left out probably a lot of other uh -huh. stuff that I could have mentioned too, um, to do with that, like him him going hunting for the elk at night <laughs> and things like that. But uh, well, uh, here's something fearless for you. So yeah. I don't recommend you, you practice in Chicago. That's not the right place to practice, but practice going barefoot. That's a dangerous thing to do. Mm -hmm. I did a lot of barefoot. Watch every step. Every step you can step on something you don't want to step on. <laughs> I, I, I did a lot of barefoot when I was out there in Olympic. But Eric had done a lot of barefoot as well. Um, and I think I think he had done a lot of it and, and decided he wanted to go a bit of a middle ground 
a middle path with it. So he he kind of wears these or he had these uh, shoes. They kind of like call them like barefoot shoes or very minimal. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, you could. He actually gave me a pair. He had he had an extra pair. Um, and so when I went to Yosemite, I wore those the entire time. Um, it was really nice. You feel everything. You know what? Uh, if it's the same thing, these are Mosticans. I had them. Uh, in fact, they're they're common in Oklahoma. But basically, the bottom of the shoe is just one piece of cowhide, just one the uh, the leather from one cow skin. Mm. Well, guess what? So is your foot just one leather of cow <laughs> cow skin? Uh, and basically, when you're wearing those monsters, you can feel right through them. Mm-hmm. But they're not quite so dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, you, you probably won't get cut as easily or something like that. Right. Right. But yeah, uh, you, you notice like long if you're not watching where you're going, you still need to watch where you're going. Otherwise, you're going to tear up those shoes. Yeah. Any any rock, any any rock you step on, you're going to know it. You're going to feel it good. <laughs> exactly. Uh, they they do that also in Thailand by having flip flops that are actually quite thin. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? Actually, they, there's like a whole market around the whole barefoot thing that there's. I looked it up afterward, and I found there's companies that even sell what looks like a dress shoe, what looks like a work shoe, but you can you know covertly, you know, without anyone really knowing, you're basically barefoot. Even though you look like you're wearing, you know, office attire. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the way to get in touch with Mother Earth is by touching her. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of walking high above her on a heavy set of boots. Yes. Um, yeah. But that's the whole point about military equipment is, is that, in fact, that's uh, uh, the Buddha talked about if you wear shoes let them be open topped that in fact cowboy boots would not be recommended for a monk to wear because it's supposed to do protection bottom and top too that it's actually uh, the leggings or the protection uh, for warriors that they will put battle armor on and that includes a boot or if it's a, a shoe that doesn't have a high top to it, they'll strap metal to that uh, lower part of the, uh, the leg down to the instep. Okay, so, uh, but the, the monks, we practice going barefoot, but if we do, we want to have open shoes, open top, open ankle, open uh, shin. Mm-hmm. One thing is a whole lot cheaper, <laughs> you know. In a way, I, I think it might actually be safer too because uh, my uh, Esther she she ended up rolling her ankle on one of the really easy like we we were walking somewhere. It wasn't particularly difficult, but there was a spot and that kind of needed to jump off or like kind of slide off of this rock, and she ended up rolling her ankle on it. She was wearing these pretty heavy duty. Uh, these sneakers that are kind of made to, to be, you know, kind of feel like boots, basically. Um, you know, it's so very you can trust them rather than trusting where she's going. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. Watching. Uh-huh. Right, exactly. And so without the boot or without that, like, because I, I was wearing, you know, the barefoot one. So I just had to be really careful about it. But mm-hmm. she's probably just, you know, oh, I can just stomp around in these, however. And she just probably stomped on her ankle. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know? that's exactly what we're talking about is, is that uh, um, having very, very light shoes, uh, Mossicans are actually uh, wearing our own Mossicans, our own thick feet. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it kind of reminds me of something I had heard a while back um, about helmets and bikes and how, you know, I, I don't know. It's probably a good idea to wear a helmet, but... I think the people were getting at that, like, not wearing a helmet, you're inclined to really pay attention to what you're doing. And, you know, the 
they, I think they were trying to make an argument that not wearing a helmet was just as safe as wearing a helmet. Actually, it depends. That's true in some cases. It's true in some circumstances. If the child uh, relies upon the helmet, then he's going to get hurt. Yeah. If he relies upon watching where he's going without a helmet, he'll be less hurt. But if he uses the helmet as the extra protection, just in case, but mostly he's watching where he's going because he knows he doesn't want to crack open his skull. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's that three levels of it. And I would say that when mom tells the kid to wear the helmet, she's putting him in danger. Mm. Better thing to do is to let him fall off his bike and bump his noggin and then say, hey, you want a helmet? It's <laughs> 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 a good point. I, I've been, uh, I don't, do they have a lot of scooters out there in Thailand? 90% of all traffic on this island is scooters. Or not, not scooters, not, not the uh, moped. I'm no, talking these are like not mopeds. These are big 90cc uh, uh, Honda. Suzuki. Not that kind of scooter, like the the kid kind of scooter, like the push your push one leg kind of scooter. Oh, I haven't seen those. No, I, yes, I have, but it's only a, an occasional Farang that will bring one with his backpack. Well, well, in, in America, it's like a big thing now to have not that kind of scooter, but now an electric kind of scooter. So, you know, you're you're standing on it as as you know that that kind of child toy kind of scooter, but it's electric. Exactly. And a lot of people use it to to get around, and I've sure. I've used it quite a in bit. In fact, this is the brand new second uh, second edition of the Segway. The problem right. with the Segway exactly. is that they had the the tires uh, uh, side by side. Now they've just taken the Segway and put it uh, in linear like a bicycle, and the kids on it with wheels about this big. And yeah, those things are fun to ride. I've yeah, never no. been on one, but I know what they are. <laughs> yeah, no, they're they're pretty they're pretty nice, and they're like on every every block you can just grab one. Like you know, the, they have they have bike share. Do they have bike share in uh, Thailand? No, no, there's no need. Yeah, no, probably not. I guess not. Yeah, <laughs> but they have, they have them like all over, and but so motorbikes are very very common here. Yeah, but that's one of the things I hear about the scooters is it's like incredibly dangerous, of course, because like you're going pretty fast because it's electric, maybe, and you know that could happen. But I was thinking about actually, getting. Actually, I was heard that they've actually intentionally that you could make a scooter just like that go 100 miles an hour. Yeah, but it'll kill anybody who tries. <laughs> 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 and so they generally limit them at about 20 miles an hour, and they still have a whole lot of accidents. Yeah, yeah, they're they're pretty fun to ride though. I kind of I like it. I, I was thinking about getting one myself because it it it's also like very convenient, more convenient I feel like than waiting on a oh, bus. Sure, if you buy the right one, you could pull this knob and and lower the handle in the seat and pick it up and carry it like a suitcase. Mm-hmm. And you can walk right in and set it by by your office desk and. Uh, or some people do the, uh, you know, they basically they have the scooter without the handles, so you're just like standing on it, oh, like a skateboard unicycle style. Hmm. Like a skateboard, powered skateboard. Yes, I've heard those are more, more like a tiny unicycle. Oh, but it's got the balance equipment to keep them because real unicycles takes a whole lot of practice to learn to ride. But now they've got unicycles that are stood up by themselves. Yeah, and those and those go like twenty miles per hour too, like really fast. And like, yeah, that's uh, whenever I see those, I'm like, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> that might take some. That might be a good test as well. <laughs> right, right. If you that, uh, in fact, all of the motorcycling that I have done, I would uh, consider that introduction into the Dhamma. Hmm. That watching where you're going, being able to do things that are kind of weird, fearless. One of the times, in fact, I, I wasn't driving. I was riding on the back with, uh, with Randy. 
and uh, the cops were chasing us. And so he passed this bus on a two lane highway with a semi coming right. And we were just between the two of them as they passed. And we had to duck to miss the mirrors on both of them. Versus again, I have to duck to keep from hitting the mirrors. That's the kind of stuff that Randy was doing. And Mm -hmm. so I learned to ride with him. He was crazy, but he was fearless. And so my, I learned to write fearlessly with him. Yeah. My my dad is just like that. He has a lot of stories about doing a lot of crazy stuff in a car and, um, you know, right. Riding his, uh, like uh, sports car on under, a, a 18 wheeler or something like that. Something you see in a movie, <laughs> something you see in a bond movie. Well, that's, Basically, to be able to do that is the can-do attitude that you can do that. Most people would be terrified to put a bike under a semi and then pop it back up and ride on by. There's a certain way that you got to do it to to slide, to get the the bike down so that it turns around to get just the G-force to where you can put it back upright again. Mm -hmm. And that can be done. But you got to have the confidence that you could do it. And sometimes the confidence is not all. You need some skill, too. So the skill and the confidence. And you could do all kinds of really weird stuff on motorbikes. And guess what? You can see all of that kind of stuff now on the Internet. Now that we have cameras and daredevils, mm-hmm. a lot of really interesting stuff that can happen. Well, Eric used to uh, ride a bike, too. Go figure, huh? <laughs> He used to be big I'll, have to, I'll have to put that on my list of good students, students who have done karate, students who have done music, students who have done math. And now we have to do daredevils. If you're a daredevil, you're half the Dama. <laughs> mm-hmm. to, to pull that fearlessness out and say, I can do that. I don't have to be afraid. Possibly yep. an example of that is Evil Knievel. Have you ever heard of him? He's been dead now for years, but uh, the joke is, is that he broke every bone in his body, one after another after another, for 200 times before he learned to ride that motorbike. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've heard of him, yeah. Yeah, but he drew, he drew great audiences just to see if he'd crash this time or not. Because he didn't disappoint him. He crashed often. (laughs) (laughs) But he'd get out of the hospital, put his motorbike back together, and go do something really crazy. (laughs) I think he was the one who actually took a motorbike and lived through it and jumped all the way across the Grand Canyon someplace or another part. Mm. (laughs) And so... That's, again, that that quality that we were speaking about earlier of having that can do, I could do this. I'll either do it or it kills me, kind of. And that's what the Buddha was doing in that swamp. He said, I am not going to be uh, running away because of my fear. That, in fact, he practiced that when he was fearful, he would stop and wait until he was no longer afraid. And then he'd take the next step. That's what you told me. Huh? That's what you told me to do. Uh, remember when we talked about uh, mm-hmm. in the woods at night? Getting you, you aren't lost when, when you don't know where you're going or whatever. That kind of thing. Just stop. Just stop. Well, so far, so good. I gotten myself to this point with fear. I can move on now fearlessly. I actually did do remember a time at, at Watsuanoke that here I was. It actually, I remember that it was a gravel path because I'd gotten off the path. I could tell the difference between that path and not path, and I'd wandered right into it. was black. It was so dark. First off, it's in the jungle. Second off, there is no power, any any lights or anything or any electricity anywhere within probably a kilometer or so. And no moon, no moon, no stars, just the canopy of the uh, uh, the forest. 
black, but still not black enough to be blind. That you could still see if you train mm -hmm. the eyes. But if you're out there afraid, then you can't. You gotta cool, settle down, just like you. You remember being off in the woods, very little light out at night. But let's get the the mind going. We could do this. Yeah, I remember that initially. I really could not tell the difference between opening and closing my eyes. It was like the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, if you keep looking, you'll begin to see things. Oh, that's a log there. Oh, oh this is the tree that I just run into. <laughs> yeah. Afterward, Eric and I were, uh, we, we, we walked around in the dark and we just tried to like um see see how far we could or like see if we could you know stay on the path uh at night i think we tried it in the daytime too just like close your eyes and and mm -hmm. see if you could just you know feel the path that's one of the things that i did in india they call it a blind trust walk you can do it with one guide and several people who have on blindfolds, or you can just have two people. But basically what you do is if you're the guide, you're going to make noises that the people can hear that are blinded so that they could follow along with you, like cough or even yell at them or whatever like that this way or maybe stomp around. And so you, you begin to see through the hearing of who you're with. And you can begin to find all kinds of things. One of the things that happened while I was doing that, I was actually on a blind trust walk in town, which is even worse than being out in the forest, okay? In town with all the cars that are traffic and all of that kind of stuff. And here I am on a blind trust walk. Mm -hmm. And I, at one time, I remember so profoundly, what the hell is this in front of me? That it was kind of a, 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 a really, really queer kind of strange line through it and all that. And, that, and so I said, wait a minute, I'm going to take my, these blindfold off. I got to see what this is that I could see, feel with my body and the structure, but I couldn't see it with my eyes. And I took that blindfold off and you know what it was? It was a bar bicycle parking place that had too many bicycles and they were just jumbled all over the place. Mm. And I could see that, but I couldn't tell what it was, but I could see it without the eyes. And that's when I began to understand that the body is kind of an antenna. We pick up all kinds of stuff. The human body is electromagnetic and we can pick up that electromagnetic stuff if we're paying attention to it. This is part of the reason why it's really hard to sneak up on an air hot. It's because they're paying attention to their surroundings. This is the whole training with the Zen stick. Do you know that guy's there? If you don't know he's there, he's going to hit you with that stick <laughs> to let you know he's there. And so this is the whole quality of wakey-wakey. Start watching what's going on. And that's why going out in the woods like you and Eric did is such a marvelous thing. I know it had a profound impact on you. Just one week. It was two. two. <laughs> double, <laughs> double dose. <laughs> and with Eric, maybe times four. <laughs> yeah, that's well, funny you know that, that uh, antenna because um, I had it, the thought earlier that um, or the experience rather of being in a uh having something on the mind and you and and then you catch it that you were caring about that thing and then the coming out of it basically it's like oh uh look at me caring about that thing i don't have to care about that anymore i'm just gonna go back to uh what's here now the breath and all the things in the senses because there's nothing else to do <laughs> but just to enjoy nothing to do right there's no place to go and, nothing and to do. So when you do that it's just whatever's in sensory awareness to take in and to to note and to enjoy
Well, now we know what to do when uh, unwholesome things arise and your partner is shut your mouth, get yourself into that really good state that we're talking about, and then proper something noble. I think one of the easy ones is, wow, you're so beautiful when you're angry. That really, really gets it. Right <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Then we can hone in on it. Like you you do you know that you wrinkle your nose when you're angry? Mm. And start putting things in there like that to bring them into the here now. <laughs> okay. Or 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 teaser. That 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 goes also back to the tickling of the feet. Begin to tease her. Have a very light, happy relationship with her. You've got the mojo. You could do it. And if you don't, she'll win and pull you into her pity party. Whatever she's doing. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll keep that in mind. I'm gonna have to rewatch this again, but <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's finish now. This has been a really joyful conversation. I really enjoyed this one. Thank you so much. Per usual, Domrado. All right. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll see you later. Bye bye. Till next time.